Life Audio. Hello, listeners. My name is Shara Donahue, and thanks for joining me today. You may notice that our summertime episodes are a bit more spaced out than usual, but I have four kids and slow my schedule down in these summer months. I hope this episode of The Bible Out of Context will help you find more freedom and rest in your relationship with Jesus. Verse we are covering today will be quick to correct in light of the rest of scripture, but the principle we are covering is one many Christians would confess, but sometimes struggle to believe. We're looking at the fact that salvation is not dependent on our own works, but on the works of Christ alone. Well, good day to you. It's Joel with The King Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith, and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. However, there are divided opinions about this verse in particular in denominations, so I'm slightly hesitant to step into it, but I'm going to include many scriptures along the way because the Word of God is always where we should turn to help us navigate tricky subjects. Meaning, we are going to look at scripture to help us interpret scripture. If you are unfamiliar with this study tactic, Pete Lang describes it as the means that as we engage in hermeneutics, the art of interpretation, we interpret the implicit by the explicit and the cloudy through the clear. The clear passages of scripture that speak of justification by grace through faith in Christ, the central theme of the Bible, are used to interpret more difficult passages. Here are two key phrases to keep in mind in the pursuit of faithful biblical interpretation. Context is king, and a text without a context is a pretext. What we strive to do is allow the context of a given passage to help dictate how we interpret it. We begin with the immediate context of the phrase or sentence, then move on to the paragraph, then the chapter, and then the book. Finally, because Christ himself claims all of scripture as a testimony to himself, we allow the Old Testament to be interpreted in light of the New Testament, and vice versa. As St. Augustine famously said, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. So here we go. We're diving deep into the whole context of scripture to interpret 1 Peter 3.21, which says, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as removal of dirt, from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When reading this, we should pay attention 
it sounds like we just read that baptism saves. I understand that many people are quite passionate about their stance on this issue. In fact, when my parents took me to meet my father's parents for the first time, my grandparents basically said, you two go out to my parents and we'll watch the baby. During that time, they had a priest come to the house and baptize me. I later was baptized by my own choice when I started following Jesus, but I get it. I understand this is something that people are passionate about and have specific beliefs around. So let's look at this verse in context by adding the surrounding verses. First Peter three eighteen through 22. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Now, we have more context to help us interpret the meaning. We see that Peter is pointing back to the Old Testament. So what can we see revealed now that Christ has come? Sam Storm says of this passage that Peter immediately qualifies the sense in which baptism saves us. It is not by the physical action itself in which dirt is removed from the body. In other words, the physical action of baptism has no intrinsic saving power. There is no mechanical relationship between being immersed in water and being forgiven. The only sense in which baptism saves, says Peter, is insofar as it provides the occasion for an appeal to God for a good conscience. We too were those who formerly did not obey and sometimes still disobey, but because of grace, we are brought safely through with a good conscience. Peter seems to be trying to explain a spiritual reality in a way that would connect with those who he was writing to. Peter also refers to Noah and waters of judgment. I want to look at Noah real quick. I love this passage in Genesis 6, where God basically tells Noah that he is going to shortly destroy all the depraved people, but Noah found favor with God and trusted or had faith in him and his ways. That belief or trust or faith or righteousness, whatever abstract noun you want to use, is what caused Noah to act and build the ark in 622. The last verse of the chapter says, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. It's important that we see that Noah obeyed God. But let's make sure we also see what it was that saved Noah in chapter 7, 1, which says, Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. The ark was a means by which Noah's salvation was worked out as he built it in obedience. But before all other blessings that Noah experienced, God had marked him as righteous. That is an important 
thing for us to remember. Now, John Piper teaches that baptism itself is meant, like the Lord's Supper, to point to realities that are so great and so wonderful that over all the controversy, we must hear the music of God's glorious goodness and grace. So it is here in 1 Peter three eighteen through 22 sandwiching the teaching on baptism in verses 19 through 21. There are the same great truths about Christ and his death. Piper goes on to say, baptism is a calling on God. It is a way of saying to God with our whole body, I trust you to take me into Christ like Noah was taken into the ark and to make Jesus the substitute for my sins and to bring me through these waters of death and judgment into new and everlasting life through the resurrection of Jesus, my Lord. Because of Jesus's sacrifice and suffering alone, we are seen as righteous in God's eyes. Let's look at Romans three twenty-two through 26, which says the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Here, that we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, as John one twelve says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. These sections of scripture say nothing about baptism as a requirement. Baptism is a visible representation of what happened to us at salvation. I have often heard it described as an outward sign of an inward change. It is an important step of obedience taken out of the faith that made us disciples, as Matthew twenty-eight nineteen commands. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But Peter's letter is not the only time we hear Peter reference baptism as being close to salvation. So we must look at all the scriptures because he says something quite similar in Acts 2 38, which says, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In the article, does Acts 2 38 teach that baptism is necessary for salvation? The scholars say, Those who hold to the belief that baptism is required for salvation are quick to point to this verse and the fact that it says, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for, for the forgiveness of your sins. Assuming that the word translated for in this verse means in order to get. However, in both Greek and English, there are many possible usages for the word for. As an example, when one says, Take two aspirin for your headache. It is obvious to everybody that it does not mean take two aspirin in order to get your headache, but instead to take two aspirin because you already have a headache.
What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Greek scholars... A.T. Robinson and J.R. Matney have maintained that the Greek preposition is in Acts 2.38 should be translated because of or in view of and not in order to or for the purpose of. This one kind of falls to a translation issue. With that word for for or is in the Greek, but the context of this section of Acts is Peter telling the Jews They had killed the Christ, but that God raised him up. The repent and be baptized command was a call to action. And Acts 2.41 says, So those who received his word were baptized. They believed, and then they were baptized. We need not add anything to the great work that Christ has already done to set us free. Hold the line of Jesus has done it all. As Galatians 1, 6-10 warns, those adding works to grace are teaching a different gospel. Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed as we have said before. So now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. What is it that makes us humans believe we need to add something to the work of Jesus, which is a different gospel? Are we so blinded by our own pride that we must declare, I did it? Or can we rest and be free in that Jesus has done it already? Now, salvation is from Christ alone, but we should work out our salvation as Philippians 2, 12 and 13 teach. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, 
but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We obey Christ because we want to become more like him. We obey Christ because we love him, but we don't believe that it is our works that are saving us, though we're trying to become more like Christ. Or as Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, but it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Grace is a gift we do not deserve. It has been freely given, but our acts of obedience, like baptism, are important. Jesus is clear. What you know and what you do matter. Theology matters. In the end, all our lives lead to one question. What do we believe about God and His Son, Jesus? The question of God seals our eternal fate. This is no small matter, but we must remember, while our eternal soul is by far the most important thing we will tend to during our time on earth, God cares about how we invested our time in a broken world and how we tried to know Him more. Because our ideals, our jobs, politics can't save us. Neither can our relationships or the works we do. They will all fade and fail at some point. But when we let our theology inform all areas of our life, we let the truths about God move us forward with conviction. When this happens, we are much more likely to find a path of peace that unites and builds the kingdom of God. But first, we have to learn the beauty of trusting Jesus in both knowledge and experience. We often forget that all of our life is this working out of our theology. What we believe will determine what we practice. Why would we get baptized if we didn't believe? Both knowledge and experience, head and heart, must intertwine so that we can see the length and width and height and depth of our Savior's love, of His majesty. If we don't have unity between our doctrine and our doing, we will be more likely to sow discord instead of unity. Let me tell you something. It took me a lot of years to figure out. When there is conflict between the theology of our head and our heart, we craft false images of God. If we draw our theology from experience alone, we are more likely to make a God in our own image. These experiential gods can look different, but they are still false gods, gods who don't call us on our sin, but console us in choosing it. Merciful gods without a hint of wrath who support people finding or living their own truth. Gods who we want to respond like a genie in a bottle, not just to grant our wishes, but under our complete control. Now, if we're on the other side, if we're tempted to let our theology only perch between our ears and never get to our heart, we are likely to become like a pre-conversion Paul. Law keepers, but not God lovers order makers, not mystery dwellers, those who place religion over the relationship God desires to have with his children. We need to remember that the living God can bring forces that war against one another to pastures of peace. He is a God who can heal ancient divides. He is a God who unifies when things like doctrine about baptism threaten to divide a church. Henry Nguyen wisely observed, 
One of the main tasks of theology is to find words that do not divide, but unite, that do not create conflict, but unity, that do not hurt, but heal. Theology, good theology, ministers to the heart and head of humanity. If we are believers, our lives should preach the whole truth of God. We cannot use one verse to prove our point without looking at the whole of all the scriptures. So let's wrap up with Romans 5, 1 through 11, to cement this idea that God has already done the work needed for us to be saved. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We have received reconciliation through Jesus' love. Dane Ortland points out that the verses of this passage show the truth that while we were still weak, while we were still sinners, while we were enemies, Christ died and we were reconciled. He says, through his son, he drew near to us when we hated him. Will he remain distant now that we hope we can please him? He eagerly suffered for us when we were failing as orphans. Will he cross his arms over our failures now that we are his adopted children? His heart was gentle and lowly toward us when we were lost. Will his heart be anything different toward us now that we are found? While we were still, he loved us in our mess then, he'll love us in our mess now. Works done before Christ couldn't save. Works done apart from Christ still can't save. Works done with Christ are obedience, not salvation. Only the finished work of Christ alone can save. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you that the weight of salvation is not on our shoulders. But please give us the desire and strength to grow in holiness. Whether that is obedience and baptism or whatever you are calling us to next. May our hearts be ready to say, yes, Lord, your servant is listening. Make us more like you as you make yourself our greatest delight. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so instead of a book, 
I am pointing you to the article, Does Baptism Save? by Sam Storms, who has some great books out there. But I referenced this one earlier because it dives deeply into 1 Peter 3, 18 through 22. And if you want to know more, this is by far my favorite resource on this section of scripture. You can find the link to it in the notes. And he also touches on verses 18 and 19, which are hotly contested, but not today's focus. Thanks for joining me today. The verses and articles referred to can be found in the show notes at lifeaudio.com slash podcast or on iTunes. And if you're over in the notes, we'd love if you would rate and review this podcast so others can find us. Thanks again to those of you who have already reviewed. Until next time, may you seek the abundant life Jesus died to give and live in the truth that sets people free. The Bible Never Said That is a production of Life Audio and Salem Media. If you liked what you heard today, please take a second to rate and review this podcast in your favorite podcast app so that more listeners like you can find the show. For more faith-filled, inspirational podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. What do you do when the world around you is falling apart? It's amazing to me how many people are breathing air. They're going about their business and doing the things you're supposed to do. But if you really ask them, they know that on the inside, they are spiritually and emotionally and relationally dead. If we're not careful, all of us can experience that death. When what we need to do, even as the world around us is falling apart, we need to learn how to march when it would be easier to stay where we are and die. Join me each week on the March or Die show as we discuss that and so much more.